The truly righteous judge rightly, pray persistently, and treat others graciously. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. We're continuing in our series today in the life of Jesus Christ and specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. And today is dealing with the topic of relationships, of human relationships, in which they're all summarized by what is often referred to as the golden rule, the golden rule. And just a reminder, if you're not aware of what the golden rule says, it's uh, this right here. It is, do unto others before they do unto you, right? Is that it? Oh, wait a minute. I think that's the wrong slide. That's not it. That's not it. I think... uh, There we go. That's it. Now we got it there. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Recall the major theme of the Sermon on the Mount is true righteousness. Jesus was instructing his disciples and us on the nature of what real righteousness looks like, what it's like, as opposed to the righteousness of the Pharisees. They're Teachers, their religious leaders were teaching and modeling a very different kind of righteousness, which was not a true righteousness at all. See, true righteousness, it's moral rightness, it's goodness, it's holiness. It is God's perfection in every thought, attitude, word, and deed. Now, boy, you think about that just for a minute. True righteousness is God's perfection in every thought, attitude, word, and deed. Okay, who, who is truly righteous here, right? None of us with that. And yet, but that is what God calls you and me to. It is a quality from within that is then expressed outwardly in our actions, outwardly in our deeds. Whereas the righteousness, according to the Pharisees, was an outward righteousness, a legalistic conformity to the law, while neglecting the heart and the spirit of the law. There was no inner purity of heart. It was often motivated by pride, by self-sufficiency, by self-righteousness, and hypocrisy, hypocritical, saying one thing, doing another. But righteousness, according to Jesus, it's perfection. It is both inner and outer, an inner conformity to the law of God that results in an outer conformity to the law of God. You might say that, well, boy, well, who is righteous then? Truly. Well, none of us, and that's the point, right? None of us are truly righteous, which Jesus is showing us, I think, in this sermon. One of his purposes in this is to show us the reality of our unrighteousness and therefore our need for a Savior and our need for the gift of righteousness. And in fact, If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are perfectly righteous. God sees you as perfectly righteous in every way. And he's molding you toward outwardly, what you inwardly and outwardly, one day you will be like Christ. And that's a gift. And that's a gift. And it's received by faith. So we're continuing then today in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
As I said, here is a resource that we're using called One Perfect Life by John MacArthur, in which he's done a, a wonderful job of harmonizing, taking all four gospel accounts and putting them together into one flowing chronological account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. For today, then, we are moving into this next section on the Sermon on the Mount, looking at true righteousness and human relationships. And so our text then is going to be from Matthew 7, 1 through 12, and Luke 6, 31, 37 to 42, a harmonizing of those accounts in Matthew 7 and Luke 6. And here is the key theme, the key idea that I want us to take away from this today, and that is this. The truly righteous judge rightly, pray persistently, and treat others graciously. True righteousness in terms of human relationships, we're going to judge rightly. We're going to pray persistently, and we're going to treat others graciously then. First, a little context for our text. Today is is the fifth of six messages exploring the Sermon on the Mount. Again, that central theme of true righteousness as opposed to Pharisaic righteousness God requires absolute perfection. We are incapable of that in ourselves. And so it's pointing us to our need for a Savior. Jesus has shown us, as we've seen before, that we are not to emulate or imitate the twisted teachings of, or the hypocritical deeds of the Pharisees. He spoke of our values and our priorities, that our ultimate concern should not be for earthly things, but rather our ultimate concern should be for heavenly things, and that we should not worry then about God's provision for earthly things. How many of you have seen time and time again God's provision for your needs, for your earthly needs, again and again, right? So we should not worry about those things, but rather our focus should be on the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So today then, we're looking at his commands concerning human relationships, starting in Matthew 7. He says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. For with what judgment you judge you will be judged. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. 
Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Strange way of ending that, don't you think? Well, we're going to see why in just a moment. So first point I want us to see here is that the truly righteous judge rightly. The truly righteous judge rightly. Now somebody say, no, no, Pastor Dan, you missed that. Jesus said right there, the first thing he said what? He said, don't judge. And you're telling us to judge. Now Jesus did not say never judge, did he? He said, but, but it says right there, judge not. How many of you have heard from all of the Bible experts on the internet that Jesus said, don't judge. Right? Have you heard that one? Don't judge. And usually that means what? You, don't lo- you disagree with something, you have a different opinion, and you dare to express that difference of opinion on something. You're judging me, you're condemning me, and you, oh, you call yourself a Christian, and Jesus said, don't judge. Right? Well, what's the problem? They haven't read the rest of the verse, let alone the rest of the passage, let alone the rest of the scriptures, right? Yeah, he said, don't judge. But what he was saying, don't judge in the way that you're judging, but rather judge correctly, judge rightly. And that includes, not, not a, uh, it's not a matter of just the head, critically, it's what? It's a matter of the heart. The motive from which we speak of right and wrong. And what also, critically, making sure we're starting with ourselves, right? Looking intently into our own hearts and our own lives. It starts there. So we're to judge rightly. Our culture has a very twisted understanding of that. And Jesus is not saying, make no moral distinctions about right and wrong, good and evil. Don't call sin, sin. Is that, is that what he meant by that? No. And, and by the way, incidentally here, oftentimes when people, when folks are saying to Christians, Jesus said, don't judge. What are they doing to you? Judging, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody makes moral distinctions. Everybody judges. To judge simply means to render a moral verdict about something. This is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is evil. Our culture's doing it all the time, right? Somewhere along the line, though, they started calling good evil and evil good, though, and right wrong and wrong right, right? So if he did not mean make no moral distinctions, don't call, don't, don't call something good and something evil, right or wrong. What did he mean? What did he mean by this? He's talking then about judging rightly on the basis of God's truth and with the right heart. There's a great uh, Bible teacher, a, a, a pastor, a speaker named Charles Swindoll. I'm sure many of you have heard of, of him. But on this passage, he he said something that I'd like us to listen to. He says, Jesus is not talking about coming to a settled conclusion on the basis of fact and declaring something to be wrong. 
It's not wrong to call wrong wrong, right? He says, part of having discernment, though, is judging appropriately. And by that, I mean separating right from wrong and truth from error. You're not judging someone when you point out an error or a lie. The kind of judging Jesus condemned is an attitude of self-righteousness that makes you care nothing for the souls of others. Instead, it puts others down to elevate oneself. It is an attitude of unmerciful criticism. That kind of judging is what Jesus commands us in no uncertain terms to stop doing. So at times, we do need to judge, but we need to be careful. If we're going to go around pointing out untruths and standing for the truth, we need to make sure we are also closely examining our own lives and living with integrity. So that's what Jesus is saying there. He's not saying, make no moral distinctions. He's saying, make moral distinctions rightly, and with a right heart, which is first examined itself. So instead of hypocritically or hypercritically condemning others, don't be a hippo, don't be a hypo, right? (laughs) Don't hypocritically judge others, condemn others, without looking at your own life. And don't hypercritically condemn others. We're just looking to pounce on them with no spirit of mercy. But rather than hypercritically or hypocritically condemning others, we should have a spirit of forgiveness. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven. To forgive, forgive means biblically what? To do it. It means to, to release or to give up the right to punish or to carry out vengeance for a wrong. We're releasing someone of that right on our part to punish them, to exact vengeance. We're letting that go. When we are forgiven of our sins by God, what is he doing? He is releasing you and me of his right to punish us for that. But that's not because he's an unjust God. It's because... That sin has been punished by whom? In in whom? In Christ, right? And because it's been punished in Christ, he can forgive us of our sins because Jesus took the punishment for us. And because we have been forgiven, we are to do what? Forgive others, right? Forgive others. So Jesus is speaking to people who had been taught by the and, and, and modeled this condemning, at, this hypocrisy and condemnation and criticism, lack of forgiving, paying others back for what they do. That was their model of righteousness. And he says, don't do that, don't be like, but you forgive. Forgive as you have been forgiven. And he warns us, what? If we refuse to do that, if we want to insist on judging and condemning others, refusing to forgive, if you don't want to, if you don't want to do that, you want to pursue, you want to pursue all of that, 
then look out because for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. It's going to come right. What goes around comes around, right? If that's your attitude, if you're going to judge others, you're going to condemn others, don't be surprised when it comes back on you. That standard you're using is going to be used against you. And I think that's in a couple of senses. First, on a human-to-human level, isn't it true that when we treat people like that, they're going to tend to give it back to us, aren't they, right? That's just human nature, isn't it, to give back what somebody's given to you? They're harsh and critical and condemning of you. Are you going to say, boy, I really love that guy, don't I? Oh, well, you have, right? Yeah, you have. But no, actually, we are called to love that guy, right? Who does that? But that's not our human nature. Is Our human nature is to do what? Give it right back, you know, harsh condemnation and cry. You cry. Pam cries here, you know. You do, actually. I've seen that, you know. It's embarrassing, Pam, I tell you. It really is, so, yeah. So... <laughs> You're going to cry now, aren't you? No? Okay. All right. Good. So, others just might give it back to you, first of all. But who else sees and is taking note? God. So, who else just might visit a little bit of that back on you? God, right? And then Jesus, in fact, he goes the very opposite, and he says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. It'll be overflowing what returns to you. So instead of harsh condemnation and retribution, instead we should have a spirit of grace, love, grace, and generosity. In fact, he says, generous giving results in generous Receiving, right? It tends to come back on us. So instead of harsh condemnation, we give forgiveness and grace. It's going to come back to us. Again, I think on a couple of levels. One, on a human level, you treat others like that. Some people are still going to be really nasty to you. All right? That's true, right? No matter what. But oftentimes, what people will respond with kindness back. But I think, though, there's again, there's a higher level that Jesus is going after here. And that's on the level. Because again, who else sees and is noting our attitudes and actions of what we're doing? God is. And when he sees us treating others like that, Instead of responding with harsh criticism and condemnation, we're responding with forgiveness and grace and generosity giving to them. What does he do? He responds to us with grace and generosity and giving. How many of you have learned the truth that you can't outgive God, right? Now, I want to give a very quick warning here. Are we talking about the prosperity gospel here, folks, that God wants you to be rich. Now, we're not talking about that heresy, okay? 
what are we talking about? We're talking about God's riches. Now, may God sometimes be very generous financially and, and material with our needs. I've learned that. I'm sure many of us here have learned that, right? It may include that as he wills. But it's not this thing, you know what, give to others and then you'll get back. If that's your motive, God's going to know that, right? But he's saying what? When we are generous toward others, generosity tends tends to come back from, and it definitely comes back to us from God. And it doesn't doesn't just mean money and stuff. It's It's true riches, isn't it? Heavenly treasure. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Who were, who were the people's spiritual guides? The Pharisees. So who, who, what do you think he's talking about when Jesus says, can the blind lead the blind? Can these blind hypocrites lead you morally? No. In fact... Can a, can a blind person, can a physically blind person lead a, a, another physically blind person? No, they're, they're going to both fall into the ditch, right? So can a spiritually blind person lead another spiritually blind person? No, they're going to fall into the moral ditch together, right? The Pharisees were blind guides who would only lead them into a moral ditch. The people were following the wrong guides, by the way, should we be taking our moral cues from the culture? Blind guides, right? No. Instead, whose cues should we be taking? Who should we be following? God's. Instead, we should follow the teachings and the examples of our teacher, who is Jesus, right? In fact, Jesus says... A disciple is not above his teacher. (laughs) Boy, we know that, don't we, when it comes to Jesus. But it says, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So we should follow the example of Jesus because he will teach us, he will train us perfectly to be like him. In fact, that word disciple, you say that word disciple means what? A student, a learner. When Jesus calls us to make disciples, he says, he's not saying make converts. Well, you have to be a convert to be a true disciple, right? But it's not just about making converts. A disciple is what? Is a student. It's a lifelong learner who is following after Jesus, endeavoring to imitate him, be more and more like him. And Jesus says, who is the one who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Do you think Jesus is going to fail in his mission to perfectly train you and me? No, he's not. He's not going to. Now, does this mean that we're going to be perfectly like him this side of heaven? No. But we can be spiritually mature this side of heaven. All right. Then, one day in his presence, we shall be like him for what? We shall see him as he is. He is going to begin, he is going to finish 
the good work that he has begun in us, isn't he? Our positional righteousness, our perfection now, received as a gift by faith, will become perfect in its realization. In our, our positional righteousness will become practical righteousness, perfect in every way. Through our efforts to try harder, right? No, by God's grace as a gift. So Pastor Dan just said, we're not to make any effort. God's done it all, right? No. We have a part to play. Faith and obedience, right? But it's ultimately him. He's done it, and he does it in us. Well, look at this guy next to me here. He's, I've noticed a problem in his life. How many of you have noticed a problem in the life of the person sitting next to you? I see a couple of huge problems right back over there. Yeah. If you were, uh, if you were, <laughs> if you were in the uh, class this morning, you went, what's he talking about? Boy, I know he likes to have fun with this, but boy, that's a little on the edge, what he's doing there right now, right? No, what that is, is I, I have some friends uh, visiting from, from Peoria here today, and uh, they've known me since high school, and you are not allowed to ask any questions <laughs> about high school, or really anything for that matter, you know, so you're not allowed to ask any questions of them. But uh, anyway, no, we like to have some fun here with one another. But we are all intimately aware of one another's shortcomings, aren't we? Right? We're all very well aware of those specks in the eyes, maybe even some planks, right? We're aware of those things. And we get to know one another. We notice some things that, you know what, you're not yet what you will be. That's pretty obvious to all of us, isn't it? None of us are yet what we will be. And so Jesus is pointing out, you know, so when you notice the guy next to you is not yet what he will be or what she will be, before you take it upon yourself to try to correct them in whatever they're falling short in, first take a good look at your own life. And in fact, maybe that, that thing he uses here, then of course, this, this, it's really a rather humorous picture, isn't it? Picturing a little speck, like a little speck of sawdust in someone's eye. And meanwhile, here's this person that has a big plank or a log coming out of their eye, right? So he says, you know what, before, you know, you've, you've got this huge log of what, of self-righteousness and hypocrisy or whatever it might be in your life, and you want to correct this guy over here, why don't you get that log out of your own eye first before you try to do that? And once again, Jesus is saying, don't judge, don't say anything about it. No, he's saying, take the log out of your own eye, the plank out of your own eye, then what? Then you will see clearly to do what? To take the speck out of it. He wants us to correct one another, doesn't he? but it's to be done only after first looking at our own lives and our own hearts. So does this mean then you have to be morally perfect before you can admonish or correct someone else? Nope, if that was the case, none of us would ever, we'd all be zipping it tight, wouldn't we, and never saying another word the rest of our lives because that's not what he's saying. He's saying what? Don't be like these hypocritical Pharisees. 
You don't have to be perfect to correct someone else. In fact, I would suggest to you that our imperfections can actually be instructive and encouraging to others, can it? When they see how we're dealing with it, that we're honest about it, and we're working on our stuff too. We're not busy working on everybody else's issues only, but we're working on our own stuff too, and we're honest about it. Right? And then he says something like, why in the world does he end his statement like that? Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Right? Why would you do that? They're going to tear you to pieces. Well, Jesus is reminding us here, you know what? You've got to exercise some discretion here. Because before you go about trying to correct others, Newsflash, some people aren't going to want to hear it. And it's really not a good idea to even try with them, right? Because you know how that one's going to end. Exercise discernment about who you're talking to. The dogs, the swine, these were what? These were unclean animals. Consider what, you know, that, that... In other words, these were folks that Jesus is saying, some people, they're not only going to not want to hear it, they're not only going to not accept what you're saying, what are they going to do? They're going to turn and tear you to pieces. And you know what? You don't need that trouble. Right? Jesus says what? Don't worry. You, you know, you got enough issues today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus is very realistic about life in this world, wasn't he? And he says, you know what? There's some people, don't bother. Don't, don't give them the, the, the pearls of God's truth and the beauty of of God's word and God's life. Give that to them when all they're going to do is tear you apart. Now, is it true when we're speaking God's word that there are some folks that are going to cry out against it, right? (laughs) They're going to do that. They're not going to want to hear it. But we need to speak anyway, right? But there's a difference, though, between accepting that that's going to happen versus going into a situation in which you really, you should know better, that don't do that. Don't do that. They won't respond well. They're going to tear you apart. So one way that we can serve others is by lovingly correcting them. But you know, another way is by praying, praying persistently. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what the truly righteous judge rightly, but the truly righteous also pray persistently. You know, one of the things I love about this verse, as you know, this is my favorite passage on prayer, isn't it, right? But I love how, and this is a coincidence in English, 
All right, because it was not written in English originally, was, was it? But I love this coincidence in English here. Ask, seek, knock. How do we spell ask? A-S-K, ask. Ask, seek, knock. Isn't that great? Ask, A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. The verb tense in that pass of those words there is called a present tense imperative continuous. It means that it's something that is of a continuous nature. Now, we're not saying ask once, seek once, knock once. No, it's ask. We could translate that. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking, right? In other words, don't quit. Keep on doing it. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. You also see an increasing intensity on our part in these things, don't you? Ask. You ask. But then what are you supposed to do? And keep on asking, but also do what? Seek. What? You're looking for God's answer. And keep looking for God's answer. Knock is what? Up. There's that door. There's that opportunity. There's, maybe there's that answer there for you. There it is. Start knocking on that door. Wait for God to open that door to you. So it's continuous action, but it's also increasing intensity on our part and eager expectation. How many times have we prayed something not really expecting God to answer <laughs> or being shocked and amazed when he did? All right, who's going to be honest enough to admit, along with me, that you've been amazed sometimes when you prayed something and you were stunned when God answered it, right? Should that be our attitude? No. Because God has promised, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, to him who knocks it will be open. Which means if you just keep asking and seeking enough, God's going to give you exactly what you want, right? No, it means he is going to answer it. And you know what? It's probably going to be even better than what you might have been asking. How many of you can testify to that, that you've seen God do that, right? All of this, of course, in accordance with God's sovereign will, right? I'm looking at the clock, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Remember that, look at that, that beautiful kitchen? that we received as a gift, that the story of that, boy, talk about ask, seek, knock. You're looking at an example of it right here. But I can give you many other examples too. In this church, this church family, and in my life. And I bet you could too, right? Ask, seek, knock. And he gives us that, that example. It's, it's called an argument from the lesser to the greater. Parents, what would you do for your children? How far would you go to meet their needs and to pour out your loving goodness to them? If that is the case with you, who, I hate to tell you this, but uh, you're evil, and I'm evil, what, in terms of compared to God's perfection and goodness? So if even evil human parents know how to give good gifts to their children... 
how much more so does the Heavenly Father know how to give good things to those who ask him to his children, right? So that's an, that's an attitude of really a faith in the, in the goodness of God and expecting him to answer. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise, for this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets was a, a Jewish expression for summarizing what we would call the, the scriptures. He would say, for this is, you know, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. For, for this, is, this, is what, this is what the scriptures is all about. Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this, is what, this is what God's commandments are all about, in a nutshell, right there. So the truly righteous, they judge rightly, they pray persistently, and they treat others graciously. How do you want to be treated? Do you want to be, do you want to be treated fairly? That's the mantra of our age, fairness, fairness. I want to be treated fairly. Do you really want to be treated fairly? Do you really want God to treat you fairly? No, you want to be treated graciously. Now, don't go out and say, Pastor, Dad, Pastor Dan said, don't treat people uh, um, fairly. <laughs> I didn't say that. Well, not in so many words, right? I said, what? Do, do better than that. Treat people graciously, right? How can we treat others graciously? By correcting them humbly, by forgiving them, by giving generously. And that's not just money. It means give what? Give of our time, of our energy, our resources, hospitality, all kinds of ways we can give to others, right? Pray earnestly. Do you think Jesus wants us to pray earnestly for ourselves? Yes, he, he wants us to pray earnestly about things that are of concern to us. But what do you think he wants to do for others? He wants us to pray earnestly about others. In other words, treat others with grace. You know, I heard something some years ago. I was at a pastor's conference at Moody. Joe Stoll was speaking there. And he said something that, it's amazing how you know, something gets, is revolutionary to you at some point, and then you, you've, you've heard it so much, and it kind of becomes ingrained to you. And now I think about it. It's like, why was that so revolutionary to me at the time? Well, because it was at that time, but we're all in process. We're all growing, right? And he said something that just struck me like, wow, yeah. He said, he was talking about the grace of God being given to us, and he, and he kept using this phrase, extend grace, extend grace. God has given you grace. He's given me grace. All this grace, grace, grace upon grace has come to you, to me. So let's extend it to others. Extend grace. Give it back. Right? That's the golden rule. Extending God's grace, the grace you have been given to others. That's treating others as you would have them treat you. Grace. You know, we serve a just and gracious God. Because God is just, he will perfectly judge 
sin, he will perfectly discipline his children. So you and I don't need to do it for him. You don't need to do his job on that. He will do that. But one of the ways, however, God brings about just judgment and loving discipline for his children is by using the church, using his people to proclaim right and wrong and also then to use us to be an agent of loving correction in one another's lives. But we must do so by speaking the truth in love and being sure we're taking care to correct ourselves first, right? Because God is gracious, we need not fear eternal judgment. And we can accept his correction with the understanding that he does so in love and for our own good. And because God is gracious, we can pray persistently and expectantly. So what? What do you want me to do with this? Well, I just want to remind us again that the truly righteous judge rightly. They pray persistently and they treat others graciously. So I want to conclude with these questions here. First off, do you love people? Really? Do you love people? Then love people enough to correct them, but only as you first humbly correct yourself. Second, believe in God's good character so that you pray persistently and expectantly. And finally then, treat others as you wish to be treated, patiently, generously, and graciously. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the grace that you have extended to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that as we have heard your word here today that we would take this to heart. That, Lord, we would endeavor to judge rightly from a heart of love and mercy and one that has truly examined itself first. That we would pray persistently, not just for ourselves and our own needs, but for others, Lord. And that we would treat others as we would have them treat us. That we would do so with grace. Extend that grace to others. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.